Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. How many know God's able? Not only is he able, he's willing. Amen. Amen. I know you can't hug one another. Just turn around and just do this. Give them an air hug. How about that? Look at them, wave at them, give them an air hug. Hallelujah. We're glad you're here. Glad you're in the house of the Lord today. Go ahead and let you be seated today. Amen. Today, uh, I'm going to be speaking on defeating racism. And uh, I think it would be uh, so wrong not to, to mention what's going on in our country and our nation. As a pastor, the church has, a, has an answer. And for us to keep silent now would be uh, just the greatest of all evils. We, uh, we live in a nation that is made up of almost every nation, every race that is on this planet. We've been called a melting pot. And uh, this is our greatest blessing, really, uh, as a nation. But it is also the foundation of our greatest uh, problems. Um, we can have the greatest victory because of this, or we can have the greatest failure. Uh, the spirit, which is really what it is of racism, must be defeated, or it will defeat us as a nation. Amen? And uh, this is really a subject that is not hard for me to talk about as a pastor, because this is not the first time I've talked about it. I have written about it. I have lived it. I have proclaimed it. And so I'm going to speak. I'm not going to rehearse uh, the details, the tragic events that's brought our nation to where it is. If you have been on this planet, you already know that of which we speak, that that has happened, and that that is continuing to happen in our nation. And uh, it just breaks our heart. I want to thank Pastor Johanna for doing just a wonderful job last Sunday in my absence. And and uh, well, I told her, uh, amen, God bless her. I told her, I said, girl, you had a hot Sunday to be in the pulpit. I mean, it was a tough Sunday to, to be in any pulpit in this nation. And, and she handled it with uh, grace and, and, and uh, just did a great job. And I'm so proud of her. But the church should resemble or reflect heaven. Amen. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number. That's how many people's going to heaven. You ain't going to be able to number them. And then it says of all nations. The word nation there is the Greek word ethnos, where we derive our English word ethnic or race from. So God says when you get to heaven, everybody's not going to be one race. You're going to retain your ethnicity. And we're going to be there with all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. You're going to retain your language. And you're going to be standing before the throne of God. God's going to furnish you palm branches, and you're going to be worshiping and praising and glorifying God forever. Now, that's what it looks like in heaven. Therefore, God said, I want it on earth like it is in heaven. So that makes sense to me that the church should be a reflection or at least a resemblance of what it's going to be like in heaven. And so that would mean that the church should look like that. Now, I'm going to say some things that would aggravate some people, probably. I'm, that's not my intention nor my heart. Um, but Jesus was asked a question, and to me, for the church to reflect heaven would be the most powerful witness to the lost, to the unsaved, that it could ever be. Uh, for the world to be able to see Christians of all different races, nations and tongues, worshiping one God and loving one another in the Lord. And the spirit of racism seeks to prevent that from being the normal. Now Jesus was asked in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3, he was asked what would be the sign of his return, of his coming, and of the, the King James says the end of the world. The new King James says the end of the age. Uh, when he was asked that question, and there was a lot going on in Matthew 24, a lot of it had to do with the coming destruction of Jerusalem that occurred 70 years later. But some of it, like this, 
his return was talking about the end times, the end of the age, the end of the world. And Jesus answered that by saying nation will rise against nation. In other words, if the word nation, like I said, is the Greek word ethnos, what Jesus is literally saying is race shall rise against race. Kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. But he said all these are the beginning of birth pains. Now what you have to see from a kingdom perspective is that even though this is things that, that, that God don't want races coming against one another, but there's something being birthed in the spirit that's going to be good. God don't give birth to something bad. And this nation's in birth pains. And, and so, but, but Jesus declared that a prominent sign of the end of this age and his return would be ethnic conflict. And my God, we're, 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 we've been living in it. Uh, if the church does not face uh, this problem, overcoming the racism within our own ranks so that we can take a spiritual authority. If you've got racism in your heart, you can't take authority over racism. You, you can't demonstrate the heart of God. And uh, if we don't deal with it, then the world's going to continue to fall into anarchy and chaos and confusion like it's in presently. And the church has to address it. It has to admit that the problem still exists. It has to admit that that there is still an issue to be dealt with. And, and if the church doesn't speak up now, then it just gives the world further reason to ignore us, to marginalize the church, and to not value our message. Unfortunately, it's been my experience. There's now a 60-year-old man and someone who has been pastoring for over 28 years as a senior pastor and have been preaching 35 years. So I've got some reason to say something. But it's been my experience that most church leaders, and I don't mean this controversial, I don't mean this, it's just, it, it is what it is. Most church leaders do not desire to see a multiracial congregation in their, in their house. Now, so, some of the reason they don't is because the powers that be, some pastors function in what I call a deacon-possessed church. That's a tough position to be in because the powers that be would not appreciate that message and therefore the pastor just remains silent on that subject. Now when I have preached on racism before and I have many times, I have caught flack just from bringing up the subject. I've had people say you shouldn't even talk about it. You shouldn't stir it up. You shouldn't address it. Uh, we have to address it. I thought the church was supposed to have the answer. All we got to do is turn on our news and see the chaos and the anarchy and the confusion and the hatred and the racism and, and we need to be able to speak. That's what the thing that moved on Pastor Johanna's heart to, to do what she's doing. And so, unfortunately, most don't desire that. That's just a reality. Um, I remember being a young pastor, and, and none of this makes me great. It, this is just my story. But when I first started Cornerstone back in March the 10th of 91 in Sparks, Georgia, it had always been my heart to pastor a multiracial congregation. Uh, I had the blessed uh, family life of dad and mom not raising us in that kind of a hatred environment. We... We, he, just, he just didn't. And, uh, and it just has always been in my heart. I felt like we should be a reflection of heaven, so I always desired that. And so I started a little church in Sparks. And uh, we were just a bunch of little white folks, you know, praising Jesus. But I wanted, I wanted what my heart wanted. I wanted a multiracial congregation. And uh, it didn't come easy. It didn't come easy, especially being in what they call the deep south, it just didn't happen. And, and if you look around in most churches, and if you look around in our city, this church here, Grace Point Church, is not the norm. And I don't say that to be arrogant or to say that we're better or if you're not just like us, then you're doing it wrong. All I'm saying is it is my belief based on the Bible that we should be a reflection of heaven based on the things I've already said. 
And so we should have in every nation, every kindred, every tongue. And I understand sometimes language barriers and where people need to be where they can understand the speaker in their own language. I understand those things. I understand that there needs to be Korean churches and we have some of those in our community and there needs to be Hispanic churches because I can't speak Spanish. And some churches try to deal with those problems. But aside from that, I'm saying we should not segregate based on our skin colors. I've had folks that I have invited to church that I have met in the community. And they came, and they came one Sunday, and they have not came again. And I've and I said, well, what was, you know, what, you know, nobody's ever brave enough to walk up to me and tell me what their real heart is. But I've had the answer back that we were too diverse. We were too diverse. Isn't that something? Too diverse. Uh, it's going to be rough on them in heaven. Where are they going to go there? <laughs> There's not going to be no south side in heaven. Ain't going to be no railroad tracks. Uh, come on now. So I, uh, I remember I had prayed for almost two years for God to send some African-American people to my church. They didn't come. And I got frustrated. I said, God, send my heart. What am I, I mean, I don't, I don't get this. He said, you want folks to come to you. You need to go to them. It was during a time in our church where I had changed the church time to the horror of some but under the direction of the Holy Spirit from 10, 10 o'clock Sunday school, 11 o'clock church, Sunday night at 6 to 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Sundays. Now, me personally, I hated that time, but God told me to do it. I found out how traditional I really was when he told me to do something. You can't show me one verse for meeting at 11, 10, 30, 10, or any other time, but I can show you many New Testament verses for meeting at 3 in the afternoon. So we, we were in a time of doing that. And I think God had some strategy behind speaking that to me. So he said, you move. You make the move. Don't just stay here and pray for me to send some African-American folks to you. Just, you, you. You make the move. I was like, I don't even know any African-American churches to go to. I don't have one African-American pastor friend. I don't even know. Now, this is back in 1993. And I had another couple in my church that I knew had a heart like I did. And it was a husband and wife, and they had a little girl. And she was probably 8, 10, year, eight, ten years old. And uh, so I asked that guy, I said, if I pick out an African-American church on a Sunday morning and go to it, would you go with me? He said, yeah, I'll go with you. So I got my wife, my three kids, him and his wife and his daughter. And so I said, we're in Sparks, so let's go to an African-American church in Sparks. And he said, well, I know one back here that's several blocks behind where my shop is, and uh, it's called uh, Mount Olive Missionary Baptist. He said, he said, why don't, you know, he said, that, that, I know of that one. I said, I've never been. I said, sounds good to me then. I just said, I I'll go. So we just showed up at this church, and I went there, and so here's, here's these, uh, so that's three, four, five, what is that? Uh, <laughs> that's uh, uh, five of us. Six, seven, eight. Now, I didn't even realize then or prophetically put it together that eight's the number of new beginnings. So here comes eight white people walking up to an African-American church of which we've never been. We don't even understand. And so I opened the sanctuary door and I walk in. And there stands a man behind a podium on the floor level. And he's got people all on one side. And one side of the church is empty. And, uh, and it didn't strike me as a church service, but he was teaching, the, you know, the Bible. And I would assure you that he stopped teaching when we walked in. He was looking at us like we were lost. And so we didn't say anything, of course, disturb anything. As we went in and, and found a, a pew right behind where it was available, and we, and we all filled that, that row. I just sat there. And so then the speaker, he put his head back down and began to try to teach and do his lesson. And he did fumbled around for a few minutes, and then he just laid his paper aside. And he said, I, I got to ask y'all, what, what are y'all doing here? <laughs> so I stood up and, and I told him my heart and my heart for a multiracial congregation. And I was a pastor in, 
in the little city of Sparks, and we just wanted to come and be with them. He started crying. He started talking about things and how he, I remember he said, his name was Brother Walden. He said, you, you lifted us up this morning. You lifted us up. He said, I'm actually the, one of the deacons here. And he said, our pastor pastors two churches, one in Valdosta and one in Sparks. And this is his Sunday to be in Valdosta. So he's not here today. His name is Dr. M.J. Robinson. But he's absent today. But I will surely let him know that y'all came in business and we're glad to have you. And they went on with the lesson and we worshiped with them. About Wednesday of the following week, I was at my church and this African-American pastor, older gentleman, walked in, introduced himself, had hands. I think I have big hands. He has made two of mine. He said, I'm, I'm Dr. M.J. Robinson. He said, I wanted to see this white man that came to my church last Sunday. And to tell you that began a relationship that lasted for many, many years. Um. Uh, he became one of my dearest friends. I presided over his funeral in my church. Uh, we, we, we just, God did it. It was a God thing. God put our hearts together. We started exchanging pulpits with one another. I, first time I went to the mission field, I left him to preach in my church while I was out of the country. Our, our hearts were just knit together. And I saw God do amazing things in our community because we did more than just pray. You got to take a step towards something. You got, you got to do something. And so we, we became the, the, the bet, really just the best of friends. I remember that he would, a lot of times he would slip in on, a, on my Wednesday night service because he had Thursday night. He would slip in and I remember I would always acknowledge him when he came in, and I would always recognize him. And I remember one night he stood up over the years as our relationship developed. He, he, he said, I've waited all my life for this. He said God had healed things in his heart concerning racism just by being friends with me. God was working on, on, on all of us. On, and, and I remember when, when I first got invited to the ministerial association, uh, I asked Dr. Robinson, I said, do you want to go to the ministerial meeting with me he said I've already been he said I sat through the whole meeting six months ago at the where they met and he said no one even asked me my name I was not acknowledged as even being in the room I said well you'll be acknowledged now because I know your name and I'll introduce you I had found out a lot about him in the course of those months I found out he had an earned doctorate I found out that he had pastored in Salt Lake City, Utah, where he had 60% white congregation. I found out that he had started a church and pastored a great church in Knoxville, Tennessee, where he had nine full-time pastors on staff and pastored hundreds of people. I, I learned an awful lot about him. He has family still in Lowndes County and, and, and uh, that still communicates with me. And so I, don't, I could just spend the day talking to you about him and, and our relationship, but God used that relationship, and I introduced him, and, 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 and he was welcomed and, and received. I don't know if, you know, people just, this racism thing, it, you, you fear what you don't know. Racism has two foundations. Number one is pride, and it's, it's a pride in the flesh. But see, grace disassembles that because Paul talked about it. He said, now, if anybody's got any reason to boast in their flesh, he said, I do. Uh, of the tribe, you know, of Benjamin. And he starts naming all his accolades and why he should be somebody and something. But he finishes it by saying, I count all that is dumb. All that is a loss to me because I stand here by the grace of God and, and I have no pride in my flesh. It is just because of Jesus. I am righteous not because of my own behavior but because of his performance on the cross and what he accomplished and he gifted that to me. So I've got no reason to boast in my flesh. So the grace of God disassembles the pride and the arrogance and we are instructed in the New Testament to know no man any longer after the flesh. The second foundation of prejudice and racism is, is, is first is pride and the second is fear. But you always fear what you don't know. I remember when I was a young little fella in the first grade, me and my 
father was in a very serious automobile accident, carried me to school one morning. We lived in Tifton. And uh, he, he was hurt a lot worse than I was. And, and, it, it, and I, I still have a vivid picture of him lying in a pool of blood and hearing the ambulance folks say that he probably was, wouldn't make it. And all those things that were, as a seven-year-old, those things are burned into me. And what that did to me, that trauma made me fear, made me fear accidents. I didn't even want to stop at an accident or see an accident. And, and, and that followed me on into my teenage years. I would go all to pieces, as they say, when I would even see an accident because I was reliving all that and I had a lot of fear. Guess what, what profession I chose to go into? Some of you are laughing because you know, a paramedic. I remember when I told my parents I'm going to be a paramedic, they were like, they both said, they, they were saying, they just said, you, won't, you ain't going to be able to do that, son. You won't be able to do it. I did it 20 years. Loved every bit of it. But what was the difference? What, what, what combated that fear? education and I learned what to do instead of just seeing blood and you know and not knowing anything to do and that made me afraid then once I've been trained I knew what to do and it took away the fear and see this is what racism does it you, you fear people that you don't even know you fear people because they're different than you and so I remember when when this issue was brought up in my my little church so when people in the African-American community found out that this white boy had gone to the African-American community and into their community and into their church, I had a lady that started coming to my church. It was African-American, first lady. I remember just a precious lady. And uh, she didn't go to Mount Olive any longer. She, her mother had been. and Anyway, she, just, she came and she started attending church. And then her sister followed her. And then her mother. And before long, then our congregation started being multiracial and then I remember I had someone in some position of authority I don't mean leadership like elder or deacon but in a position of leadership say come to me and say to me that we're bothered by this and I said why are you bothered by it and, and I said that's my heart and she said well we, we ain't supposed to go to church together and I said, we ain't supposed to go to church together. She said, you know, the Bible says plant your peas with your peas and your butter beans with your butter beans and your corn. In which I had never read that verse. <laughs> Racism is stupid. And I, I did find the verse that she was talking about, but what God was talking about there was talking about don't sow your seed in confusion. Don't sow your seed in confusion. He wasn't talking about all you white people stay with the white people. and you. He wasn't saying that. But it's amazing somebody pulled that verse out and preached that. Somebody preached to me that we were different skin colors because of which side or how close to the equator you lived. In other words, the reason black folks are black because they come and they would, you know, the son did that to them. No, the son of God did that. See, if that's true, then we all should be red men in here. Because we've been in America several hundred years, and we ain't turning red. That's who was here before we got here. It's got nothing to do with that. God made the nations. God gave you your skin color. God gave you that. And so she said, we ain't supposed to go to church. I said, why not? She said, if we start going to church together, the next thing you know, we'd be marrying one another. And, and, and racism is a very, it's hypocrisy. Because I, I didn't see anybody jumping on a, a white guy that married a pretty Hispanic lady. They're like, oh, you got a little chiquita. Oh, yeah. They bragging on him. But let that same white guy marry an African-American woman. See how that goes down. Boy, it's getting quiet now. And I remember when the first time many, many years ago when I had a precious African-American friend of mine who was lost, who didn't go to church, but he just was always a friend, had been a friend since school, stopped by my home one day. I was out mowing yards, and he said, I have met this lady, and I want to get married, and I, I, just, I just want you to do the wedding for us. And I said, sure. They've lost. They don't go to church, neither one of them. What a great opportunity for me to be able to just be and bring Christ into their lives. He said, now listen now, I need to tell you this. She's white. I said, okay. 
I mean, you picked her. I'm good if you're good. <laughs> and and you, it was amazing the things that I suffered because I joined a black and white together at a, in our community. I was almost kicked out of several things because of it. One of my dearest spiritual sons and daughters is Aaron and Sandra that many of you know. He's just retired recently in the last year or so from the United States Air Force. They're, they're just my kids. He's African American and she's white, German. And uh, just challenges. I remember when I, this lady told me that, I said, well, I can't help, you know, I'm not changing. And I didn't have but 80 people then, and, um, but it bothered me. It bothered me that that was in the camp. And so what I was dumb enough to do is not through, I don't think a mean spirit by no means, but I preached on it the following Sunday. See, if you tell me not to preach on something, that's just like me sick and you sicking me on it. I'm going to preach on it till you quit talking about it. I, you think I'm joking? I have preached the exact same sermon five Sundays in a row one time. A lot of people never caught it. <laughs> but I preached out of Numbers chapter 12 where Moses, that his brother Aaron and his sister Miriam had complained against his leadership not because he wasn't a good leader, but because of who he chose to be his wife. And the Bible says that they spoke out against him because he had married the Ethiopian woman. And then it says, comma, for he married an Ethiopian woman. In case you missed that part. And an Ethiopian woman is a dark-skinned woman. And Moses married her, and they didn't like it, his brother and sister. And a lot of times your close family would be the ones that's got the most to say about stuff. And they started attacking his leadership and said, you take too much on yourself and you, I, I hear God just as good as you can and you put your britches on just like I do and they started all that deal. And when they did that, God said, come here and bring Miriam with you and bring Aaron with you and come meet me outside. This is under the old covenant. This is under law. Keep that in mind. But God calls them to him and he rebukes them for speaking against him and then after that meeting, all I know is Miriam has now turned white, and she is no longer the Middle Eastern olive complexion. She is snow white leprous. Is it in there? And so Moses begins to intercede, and Aaron cries out, and, and they said, please don't let her be like this, God. And it said the, the anger of the Lord was risen. And it said, God said, it, it, you know, at least let her be outcast for seven days. In other words, God said, put her out of the camp for seven days. Now, some of you can say, well, under again, it's not under grace, it's under law. So she's put outside the camp like all lepers were. So is it possible that Miriam got to feel what it feels like to be outcasted because of the color of your skin? Out of all the things that could have hit her, that's what came on her. So Miriam got to feel and experience what it is like to be marginalized, outcast, and to be set aside simply for one reason, your skin is different than mine. And she got to experience and drink of that cup for seven days. It's called an Old Testament law, Holy Ghost, attitude adjustment. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Now, I preached that from the pulpit. Let me tell you what that did for me. It cost me half of my church. Now, I don't mean they got up the next Sunday, but over the next few months, I lost 40 people over the issue of race. So you're not listening to a pastor that's just all of a sudden going to jump on the latest bandwagon because what's gone and happening around in our country. I've been living this, and to some degree, I've been paying a price for it all of my life. I lost over half of my church. But I'd rather have 40 people with a heart after God than 80 people who, were, who, 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 who didn't have a heart like that. But what God did is God took that 40 and then he turned that thing around. And by the time that I left that church and came here, that church looked just like this church because the church is a reflection of my heart.
See, you can't front this. You can't fake this. And, it, and, it, and it's been my heart. And, 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 and so we were able, I remember I was the president of the Ministry Alliance, and I brought up the issue of race there many years ago. And they always had a community-wide revival every year. And I always said it's not a community-wide revival because you can hold it in any church you want to and still got chairs to sit in. I said when it becomes a community-wide, we'll have to move it to the football stadium. But until then, we'll call it that if it makes you feel better. But we have a community-wide revival. All the churches are supposed to participate. And I brought up the issue. I brought it up because it was on my heart. And I said, let us do a racial reconciliation night. And let us, let, let, let us bring it to bear and let us pray the prayer and say the things. And, 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 I, and I'll do the part, you know, uh, from my aspect and, and, and have Dr. Robinson do his part. Guys, I'm not exaggerating. I thought the preachers were going to fight one another in the room. It was that bad. And I remember my heart was so broke that day. I said, we're supposed to be the minister leaders of this community. And we can't even get it out of the, out of the western sizzling banquet room. That's how the hot button this is. I had preachers call me that afternoon and resign out of the ministry alliance because I brought that up. They said, I've got enough pressure in my own church. I don't come to a meeting like that to have more pressure added to me. I said, well, you can act like it don't exist, but it exists. And so we did with what we had to do with. I remember Dr. Robinson preached in, a, in one of the, I won't even call the church, but a very prominent church who had never, that church had never had an African-American pastor preach from his pulpit in all of his history. Breaking new ground. I remember we said, let's have a, let's have a uh, 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 vacation Bible school for our kids, and let's do it in the African-American community. Let's do it at Dr. Robinson's church. And let's just get the churches to all come together, and we'll rent this huge tent, and let's have, let's have uh, vacation Bible school together this summer. Let's do that. You know how many churches I had to join up with that? <laughs> it was more than that, thank God. Pastor Robinson, his church, hosted it on their grounds. My church participated in one other church, three of us. That one other church was a very prominent church in, 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 in not Sparks, but in Adel, pastored by a very progressive younger pastor of which I had met. I had befriended him. I found out that he loved to hunt. And so I liked to hunt as well, not as good as he did, but I offered to carry him hunting with me, deer hunting. And I would drive to his house, the parsonage of that first church position he was in, and, 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 and we would drive for over an hour to the hunting ground. I'd pick him up at 4 o'clock in the morning and give you time to talk. And I got to know him, and he got to know me. So when I had shared my heart about racism, he said, I'll participate. I'll have my church to be involved. He did, and it cost him his job. He just told me afterwards, he said, they, they've let me go. He said, I think I've carried this church as far as I can go. But he said, I want to tell you something. He said, I really appreciate getting to know you because when I came to this town, I didn't like anybody that was Pentecostal or charismatic. I thought y'all were all nuts. That's what he told me. And I said, well, why did you think that? He said, because I dated a girl in Macon one time that she was charismatic, Pentecostal, whatever. And she said, you know, he said that she, a friend of ours died and she just you know, her theology about that whole thing and said the woman didn't have faith and all that just really turned him off. But he said, I've, all these hours we've spent hunting together and stuff, I've realized that not all of y'all are nuts. And I said, well, at least something good come. We held that in the black community. We, we, we done those things. So I'm not up here talking about stuff that, you know, and it breaks my heart. And, and, and I don't think I'm something special. I, that just happens to be my story, and I could go on and on. I remember when Dr. Robinson came to my door, and and he, 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 you know, he left our community, not because he wanted to. I opened that door, and he stood. And that wasn't the first time he'd been at my house. And he'd eat in my living room and in my kitchen and fished in our ponds. He, he had to run to the place, and I'd been in his home. 
We were friends. I remember when one time I couldn't get a hold of him for weeks and he wasn't answering and I couldn't get him and, and I finally just went to his parsonage there in Sparks and beat on the door. And he come to the door and he was so disheveled looking and, and I knew something was wrong and I said, what, Dr. Robbins, what's wrong? He said, Doc, my wife has left me. He said she went back to Arkansas or whatever and, and she didn't come back. She always go for a visit every year. She stays gone a month, but this time when she come back, she come with a rider truck. And she said, I love you, old man, but I don't want to be a pastor's wife no more. And she loaded up her stuff and went back to Whiteville, Tennessee. That's where he was. He was heartbroken. He thought it would ruin his ministry. I put my arms around him. We love one another. I helped, I was there with him through that season of his life, and he kept on keeping on. Now, the good story is, so you don't sit there and get too sad, is about a year or two later, they got back together. He eventually started a church in Whiteville, Tennessee, of which I drove to, to do his inaugural service. And when I pulled up, he, he always preached in a robe. I never could get down what all the sashes, what color meant what. But he was standing out there, and I remember I pulled up his truck, I pulled up my truck in Whiteville, Tennessee, at this church, and it was 32 degrees at 11 o'clock. It was cold. And his heart was so touched that I would drive that far. I said, You're my friend. When his health got bad, he called for me. I met his daughter that said, When I, I walked into his room, and he kept, he, he, he had strokes, and he started his health deteriorating, and it's too, too many stories to tell you. But he said, I want to go to heaven. He always called me Doc. Doc, I want to go to heaven from Sparks. They moved him to Valdosta to a nursing home. When he got here, he had another stroke. Moved him across to South Georgia Medical Center. I walked into his room that afternoon. His room was filled with his grown children. One, one of his children is a lawyer. She's a lawyer in Atlanta, Georgia. When I walked in, they saw, even though he could not articulate speech, they saw his expression change in tears when he saw me. I went over and fell upon him and hugged him, kissed him on the cheek. He was my friend. She came to me later. She said, I, I wanted to meet this man that has so moved my daddy. He had said, I already told all them I want him to conduct my services, my home going. I've got all that on DVD. If you ever want to sit down and watch it, it's long now. Because we had about nine, ten preachers preaching. <laughs> but I remember what I did is I played a, a, a CD of some of his preaching from my pulpit. It brought us all to tears. It was good, though. And all I'm saying is, I remember being, and I, I got to finish it with this. Even though I wasn't raised what I would consider in a racist home, and my mom and dad, they didn't use words that were racist. And we, I just had the blessing. Even though I was born in 59, raised in the 60s, and this, the 60s was the hotbed of this stuff going on. I remember when integration came to the school I attended. I remember those days, and, but I remember being, being said, not maybe directly, but the environment that I was in had told me that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was just an instigator, was a bad man. So I'd never listened to one thing he'd ever said. I'd seen spots on the news and stuff, but as a little kid, I didn't remember, you know, sitting watching the news, and, you know, back in the 60s like that. This August the 28th will be 57 years since Dr. King stood on the Lincoln Memorial Steps and gave that great speech, I Have a Dream. I remember as a, as a grown man already married up to that point, sad to say I had never listened to one sermon from Dr. King. My job that I was in as a paramedic with the county, they had a Dr. King celebration for the county and the position I held, they ordered all of us to be at that memorial, that celebration. And what they did is they played one of his sermons. It was not the I Have a Dream speech, but it was another, it was one of his sermons. It was, and I remember sitting there listening to Dr. King, and, and like we say, the Holy Ghost goosebumps was all over me. The Spirit of God, I was so moved by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit anointing on that man's message. 
And then it made me want to hear other things he wrote and, and said. And, and so I began to listen. And now you can freely do that on the Internet. You can listen to his speeches and sermons. That day that he stood on that step and he preached, declared, called it a speech, whatever, what it was was a prophetic sermon. I have a dream. Now, one of the things he talked about often was justice. And I'm not talking about legal justice because legal justice is where you want the crook to be punished for his crime. Due to crime, due to time. Legal, and I'm not saying that's wrong. But I'm speaking at a higher plane this morning. Legal justice can make bad men convicts. It can be punitive and not restorative. And, but the justice that Dr. King spoke of and what I'm talking about is kingdom justice. See, he, he talked about in that speech, he actually used the word when, when, when justice rolls down. He wasn't talking about getting you for what you did. He, he was talking about that when the smooth, when the, when the rough places are made smooth and the high places are brought down low and the, and, and the low places are brought up high. He, he was describing the kingdom of God. It was like uh, a photo from a distant place. It was like music from the future being played now. That speech that he gave August the 28th of uh, 68, it, it, uh, was it 63, 63, was out of sync with the present moment, but it was exactly in sync with the kingdom of God. And, and he talked about these things. But see, because only kingdom justice will deal with the injustices in this world and this world's filled with injustices now listen every race has people that are racist in it I've experienced racism because my skin's white I've had people refuse to come to my church because I'm white I've had people to refuse to do business with me because of uh, I'm white I have. I remember I was in a position of leadership. I was the chief of the emergency medical service for 12 of my 20 years in, in the city that I served in, the county. Of course, you work for county commissioners. And I remember an African-American man, a professor from college, got elected as a county commissioner. And, and I remember his first duty was to come over there and straighten me out. And, and you could just tell, he, he had such prejudice against white people. Felt like every white person is out to get him. And, and he, he had an axe to grind. He had a chip on his shoulder. And he came into my office and, and he demanded and he spoke to me like I was a racist guy. He didn't even know who he was talking to. He didn't even know he was talking to a pastor of a multiracial church in a little town called Sparks. He didn't know all the things I had suffered and went through just to have that kind of heart. And now he's walking in my office as an African-American man, county commissioner, and just wearing me out like I'm some kind of uh, plantation person. And he said, I want to know, I want to see every application you've ever taken for positions. Because he said, you don't have any African-Americans here full-time employment. And he said, I want to see your application file. I, I mean, he was just on me. <laughs> And so I produced it for him. Because well, what he didn't know is every African-American EMT slash paramedic that had walked into my office with an application, I hired them immediately. Part-time roster immediately because that's where our full-time came from was the part-time roster. Hired everyone. Just because of the color of their skin. We didn't have that many African-Americans hardly ever even applied. I can't help that, you know, that I didn't have the applications. I had several young men that were my friends. One young man, his name Ronnie Davis, he was from Tifton. I had hired him on my part-time roster. We used him all we could. And then a friend of mine from Fitzgerald called me and said, he was the chief over there, he said, do you have anybody? He said, I, I, I need, I need a, a good person, man. We, we got an opening. And I said, well, there's a guy that, that's on our part-time roster. He'd been begging for a full-time position. I just think had none because we didn't have that much turnover. And so I said, I'll send him over there to you. 
and you just see what you're thinking. So I sent Ronnie over there, and, man, they hired him on the spot. And long story, Ronnie loved it. Over the, over the next few years, I had two full-time positions come. And each time, I would personally call Ronnie Davis, my African-American friend over there, and I'd say, listen, man, won't you come back to Tifton? This is your home. I can pay you more than they're paying you. He said, no, I like it over in Fitzgerald. I remember he made assistant chief. I called him and offered him more money again. He said, no, I've got it. I, I'm going to hang right here. I said, all right, Ronnie. I'm trying to get you back home, bro. He said, no, I'm good. He said, I love you, though. And I remember when that commissioner came to my office, I said, won't you call this guy? Here's his number. He's the assistant chief at Ben Hill EMS. Call him and ask him about me. I said, won't you come by here at night and sit down in any chair you want to with any paramedic you want to and ask them have they ever even seen one slight hint of racism come out of my mouth or any action? Ask them. Ask them. And I went before all the county commissioners in a public meeting and put all that out there. I was the first guy to ever hire a woman. Do you understand racism ain't just skin colors? It's male, female. I was the first guy to ever put a woman in the ambulance in that county. Oh, man, I wasn't favorite with the wives of those paramedic guys when I hired women. What? <laughs> I said, well, if you, you know, if you got to have that to keep your husband straight, he ain't straight, girl. You know what I'm saying? All I'm saying is that we're living in a nation that's boiling over because of racism, and we the ones that have the answer, the church of Jesus Christ. We do have the answer, and, 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 and we are not to be silent right now. But, the, we, but we've got to do more than give lip service to it. I could tell you thing after thing, and once that, of course, that commissioner began to see who he was talking to and know, then his whole attitude toward me changed. Because he actually... When I, I called Ronnie and I said, Ronnie, I said, I just had this commissioner man just trim my limbs up one side down the other like I'm some kind of plantation owner, slave owner or something. I said, now I asked him to call you, but I said, I don't know that he will. And he, and he said, who is that? And I told him his name. He said, man, that dude used to date my sister. <laughs> he said, I'll call him for you. So he called that commissioner. I said, man, you got Dale all wrong. And he said, has he called you several times, offered you jobs full-time? He said, yes, three times. He said, I'm just, I like it here. That's why I ain't come back to Tifton. I like it here. He said, man, you got that fellow wrong. And, of course, later on, I did have full-time African-American employees as they applied and came on the job. But people would judge you based on what their hurts have been, what they have gone through. And they're seeing through tinted lens and there but just because you got on red glasses don't mean the world's red that's not the way it is and I'm so thankful for this church and I'm thankful for every one of you because it really does take special people to come to a multi-racial multi-ethnic church I mean that, that in itself makes you special I mean special to me anyway because you have a heart like that and I, I simply believe it's a reflection of the kingdom of God that I read out of Revelation. And God said you're going to have every nation, kindred, tongue before the throne of God. And we're all going to be worshiping together. And God said that's how the thing's going to end up. And so right now, see, the only thing that you and I can do, and, and, and the main thing, yes, we can give, we can talk. We can say things. But if, if what you're saying is not backed up by action, it's just lip service. But, but, but so you say, well, how do we deal with it? You, you, you just move in the opposite spirit of, of this world. So you move in the opposite spirit. So where there's hatred, you move in love. You, you know, you, you, can't, you, you, you can't, like, you, we don't understand kingdom aspects. You can't pray yourself out of poverty, really. So if you don't have, you give. In other words, you move in the opposite spirit because you're trusting in God. Here. So it's the same thing with this. You, you, you show love. You, 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 where there's hatred. And, and, and I tell you, there's no shortage of people on Facebook and different places that are spouting out hatred. But one thing that I'm, I'm appreciative of, and I'm not mocking, 
is I have been amazed of how many uh, uh, white people that I've seen posting quotes from Dr. King. It's unprecedented. I've never seen that. If you look, I mean, at least the feed that I get, I've seen so many. Uh, now, some of them I can tell they're posting stuff out of fear. Like, Dr. King, I want y'all be, you know, doing this. Listen, Dr. King, he, he's like everybody else. In, in the flesh and what we display and demonstrate, nobody's perfect. None of us. But the heart, that man was called of God. Within a year of that speech on the Lincoln Memorial, uh, civil rights bill was passed. Ultimately, it cost him his life for what he stood for. But, 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 but I want to ask you this. You know, when he went through all this stuff, I have a dream, I have a dream. And, and he, he outlined his dream, and he, and he spoke it out of his mouth. And he talked about white kids and black kids, and he even named specific states, and I want it to be like this in Mississippi and like this in Alabama. And, 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 and man, he, he preached that thing. It was a prophetic declaration well beyond this year's. But he was trying to call the future into the now in his moment, in his time. And, 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 he, and he really, he, that was his call. But if I was to say to you, what is your dream? You know, he said, I have a dream, but do you have a dream? What, what injustice would you like to not see 50 years from now? In other words, what, what is an injustice that bothers you? Now, I can't believe that you can live in this world and nothing bother you. Something's got to bother you. Something pushes your buttons. And I don't mean in a bad way. I mean in a good way. You're like, I mean, you, all of us, I, I've always told you this. All of us have either, you, you got a Nehemiah part in you and you got a Moses part in you. Now, Moses was a Hebrew and he saw an Egyptian beating up a Hebrew and it made him angry and he murdered the Egyptian. That wasn't right, was it? But that passion that he felt and the anger that he felt, that was right. He, that was an injustice that was occurring to his people, and Moses was right to be angry because of it. But he channeled his anger, and he handled it in a wrong way. You can be upset with abortion, but don't go bomb an abortion clinic. Don't go shoot an abortion doctor. That's the way Moses handled it, and he did it wrong. And listen, and it delayed the deliverance of those people by 30 years. It took them 30 more years to get out of Egypt because of what Moses did, and he mishandled his moment. Now, now God still used him, and, and he got it together, but it, it, he, it, it took him 30 more years. Now, he went out and spent 40 years in the desert. God had prophesied that the people of Egyptian bondage would come out after 400 years. They did not come out after 400 years. Did that mean God lied? Did that mean the prophets lied? No, it meant that man's actions delays the timings of God sometimes on this earth. And 430 years later, they came out of Egypt. That's why I'm saying it delayed it 30 years. Are you with me? Now, Nehemiah was born under, uh, far, on a foreign land, but he was a, he was a Hebrew. He was Jewish. And yet he'd been taken into captivity, and he was serving in a very cushy job. You may not think so, for a Persian king. And, and, and his his family, his friends came from Jerusalem and they, they gave him the newspaper from Israel. You understand what I'm saying? And he saw the gates burned and the walls tore down and the people starving and famine there and, and, and Nehemiah wept over it. He said he, he sat down and he couldn't do anything but cry about the injustices that was going on in Jerusalem. And, he, and what he did, the, the king said, why is your face so sad? And he said, king, this is this and this is that. And, and the king said to him, listen to me, what you want to do about it? What you want to do about it? Man, like, I ain't got no money. I can't do nothing. He said, I'll pay for it. And that king furnished him the army, the soldiers, the authority, and the money to go back and build what Nebuchadnezzar had burned to the ground. God used him in a moment because God had something to work with. He cried over an injustice. Now, listen to me. I'm about done. Listen, what makes you cry? Is it bloated bellies of babies that are in Famine in foreign land. See, you don't necessarily have to get a big posse up to go with you. I've seen people a lot of hurt a lot of times when they have a heart of God to do something and then everybody don't want to jump on their bandwagon because God ain't, we're all different. 
you, you might cry when you see a little kid with a bloated belly from famine and another person might be sitting there watching that commercial eating a biscuit. And it, I don't say it don't bother them and I don't say that they don't care, but it don't bring them to tears or like, like it does you. But that don't mean, because God's got something different for them to do. God's got a call for them. You understand? We're all different. But listen to me. I'm telling you, everybody in this room, there's something that'll make you cry. There's something that'll make you angry. There is an injustice that bothers you. And when you find that, you just found your call. When you find that, you just found your provision from God to help with that. You don't have to have the resources. God will provide them for you. you, you, you don't, I mean, it might just, it, 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 can be, it can be anything. It can be the moments of times where, where this brother started promise keepers and a men's movement went all across this nation. It could be even before that full gospel businessmen's association. And full gospel businessmen did things all over. And, 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 and there's moments and times where, where God calls his church to have a voice now and stand up now and move now because of this thing that's going on. And so right now, are we just going to watch the news and fold in and pray for the rapture? Are we going to be filled with fear? And You know, and I, I, I pulled up the other day in our city. I, the traffic light stopped me there at the courthouse. And, and you could see the person standing on the corner with their fists raised and the anger, and they were just looking at me to react in some kind of way that wouldn't have been satisfactory to them. And they may want to come over and push on my truck. That's the world we're living in. I ain't talking about some of it. I ain't talking about Atlanta, Los Angeles, Chicago. I'm talking about here. Most of you know I do things, and I, I, I represent some Medicare things, and this is not a commercial. But I, I, I represent, uh, help people with Medicare with my son's company. And uh, look at there, the daddy's working for the son. Isn't that something? And I, and I enjoy that part of being able to help people. But one of the companies, the main company that I work with is United Healthcare. And they just sent all of us agents this weekend, they're going to give over $10 million to Minneapolis and that area, 10 million. They are going to educate George Floyd's children and pay total college educations for all of his children and give over $10 million in efforts to for civil unrest and restoration and, and all in that. And, and man, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm blessed by that. I'm proud to be connected with a company that's got a heart like that and, and got the money like that that can do that. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and just so touched by that. My, that email came to me, uh, yeah, on uh, Friday, Friday. And it just about brought me to tears. I read the whole details of all that they're going to do. They, they're going to donate 25,000 hours or no, 250,000 hours of volunteer time, labor, besides the 10 million. Uh, they're not just giving lip service. Here, here is a health care company that says, we see what's going on in our nation, and we want to step in and help. We want to step in and do something. And, and, and you, you, I mean, that's, that, that's a God thing. That's, that's a, what company gives away $10 million just because of civil unrest? Because they want to make a difference. Thank God for that. The, the church has got something to say right now. And so we don't have to hide. We don't have to cower in fear. And, and you don't have to get caught up in all these, you know, Facebook. I mean, now, I mean, all this stuff's going on. The virus has separated us. Race has separated us. All the things. You understand the enemy is just trying to separate you from God and from one another. That's, that's, that's all this is. But, but you are part, and we are part, of a church. I, I want my elders to come and join me on stage. I know this is real different, and they may not all be right here, but I, I see several of my elders to come. I say mine because I claim them. I didn't give birth to them. And, uh, and so we're missing two, right? And... Uh, but just, this, this, this is my family. Me and him met last week just because of his heart. And we hadn't been meeting because I figured we didn't want, you know, we social distancing like everybody else. And 
And, and, you know, but let me tell you something. Absence does not make our hearts grow fonder for one another. That's, that's not true. The longer you're separated from one another, you can start thinking thoughts that are not really goodly, good godly thoughts. Y'all come in here closer to me. I just, I don't know what. Uh, but I, I know when after, after you and I shared, because he, he, he didn't really, like he said, he didn't know all that even his own pastor had been going through. I didn't know all that he'd been facing. School teacher in our school system. Aren't you glad for godly school teachers in, in our school systems? That, that, and, and, uh, and so it was, just a good, it was just good to be back again. We're meeting tomorrow night. And because uh, I said, I'm good. I've been on the front line since this thing started. I'm good. I'm a hugger deep down. That's what Ken, he's a hugger. Then I had somebody uh, messed uh, mess me last night and said, well, I'm scared to come to church because y'all might want to try to hug me. I said, no, we just do air hugs. We, we ain't going to hug you. We're not going to grab you. We ain't going to take you down to the floor and, hug, and touch you. I just, I, when I come in, I wave at you. Amen. You notice how sometimes I've been coming in, been coming in through this door, which is unusual, but just trying to, because I'm around a lot of people. I'm just trying to keep you safe as far as that. I ain't worried about it really for myself, but I'm not stupid either, you know. I've asked people, I go into people's all homes and communities, and I say, now I got a mask, I'll put it on if you want me to. Or I'll, I'll, you know, some, if you put it on, they get mad. If you don't, got it on, they get mad. You walk in Lowe's, you got one on, they get mad at you because the, the, the non mask wearers are looking at you like, you, and then if you put it on, you know, so you just can't win in the world. People mad at you just for just showing your face, just standing out there, they mad at you. Man, we gotta knock that off. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta resist those things and move in the opposite spirit, because the answer to everybody is, is just loving one another. And I'm so glad that this is not a church that just gives lip service to it. I mean, this is the leadership. These are the elders. I can't help the color of my skin. I'm a quarter Cherokee Indian. All y'all on our land. <laughs> All right, don't send me no emails. I'm just teasing. <laughs> Here they come. I know it. El Stupio Pastor going to make a comment right at the end. You know, if you make any comments today, I see people every day, they make a comment tomorrow, they apologize for the comment. You know what I'm saying? But any comments you make along these lines, you're in trouble with somebody. But I'm, I'm proud of my Cherokee grandfather and grandmother and the name Hutto. Don't know so much what it means. I thought when the first time I heard them say her name, I thought she had a hurt toe. But it's Hutto. But I, it made me learn about the Cherokee. And, and I've gone to, to North Carolina and the Trail of Tears and, and stuff. Boy, that stuff's heart-wrenching. There's been a lot of injustices in this world. But God has sent us here. And he says, I want it on earth like it is. See, the moment you learn, and I'm ending with this, that the gospel of the kingdom is not to get you from here to heaven, but to display heaven here on earth, it changes your view of everything. God, that's the heart of God. And so it's not for us just to get raptured and taken to heaven. It's for us to be ambassadors for Christ and to represent and to reflect heaven here in the here and now on this earth. And all you can do is allow the Spirit of God to flow through you and yield to that and display the heart of God. And just love people. There's going to be people that's going to hate you because you're skin color. They're going to hate you because you ain't got enough money, because you don't drive like they drive, don't live like they live. I mean, you, there ain't nobody taking none of this with you. Naked you came in, naked you going out. You know what I'm saying? You get it for just a short period of time. Help us to do something good with it, okay? Amen. We're going to we're going to pray together. I'm going just stand with me. God bless you. Thank y'all. And uh, I know that somebody's going to send me something saying y'all went practicing social distance in the air with your elders. Man, we've been hugging each other for weeks. Don't worry about us. Amen. So, Father, I pray for our nation. I pray for George Floyd's family and all that's going on across this nation. I pray for peace, God, because you're the Prince of Peace. I pray, God, that you would help the church, your church, we're your bride, to reflect and represent your heart authentically and accurately, that we would represent and reflect you
to this world. Let us do it individually. Let us do it corporately. Father, we come against the spirit of racism and the pride and the fear that tries to invade people's hearts. And I pray that this house and every house that is your house will reflect that heart of God, that you love this world. You didn't come to condemn it. You came to save it. And I pray that you would grant us that grace to, to walk in the fullness thereof, to see the kingdom of God, to see those prophetic declarations in reality and in our lives today. Renew your works again in our day. Let us see the glory of God manifested in, in, a, in a way that we've never known it even in our lifetimes. And we thank you. We give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you.